0: Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Elevate Your Brand. I, of course, am your host, Laurel Mintz, and I am joined today by Ryan Lewenden, who is a partner at the Giannuzzi Group. Ryan, thank you for being with us today.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here,
0: Laurel. So we typically don't have service people on because, frankly, they tend to be fairly boring, but I know you so well at this point, and you work with so many exciting brands that I thought we could not not have you on the show. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm so happy to be the exception to the rule. That's great. We
0: definitely are. So tell us what you do and who you do it for.
1: Yeah, so uh the G Newsy Group is a you know boutique firm that's uh focused solely on the representation of fast growing consumer products and brands and services. Um, you know, our our representation, you know, we don't represent investors, we don't represent private equity firms, we solely represent you know, brands and founders. And, and how we got into this sort of very, like, you know, very deep and narrow practice structure is, um you know, my partner, Nick, and I, we were the first lawyers for vitamin water uh, in the early 2000s. And um, at the time, we were corporate lawyers. And, you know, we sort of had a, a varied corporate practice. And, you know, we worked with sort of all kinds of companies, like companies that, um, you know, made those outside heaters, and companies that made machine <laughs> parts, and, you know, restaurants, and, all types of stuff, and and one of them happened to just be this this startup company, Vitamin Water, and we ended up doing everything uh, for Vitamin Water, sort of up and down the line from you know every round of financing to sort of all the employee agreements to you know everything in their supply chain, their manufacturing agreements, their distributor agreements, kind of all those celebrity partnerships, you know, like uh, where Fifty Cent like had his own um, his own flavor for Vitamin Water. Sure. We did all this until it sold. To coke in two, 2008 um you know for like 4.8 billion dollars and wow. you know we after you know having that great big success you know we looked around and we realized hey one we really love this type of work you know we're all uh, we're both uh, athletes we both competed uh we both had healthy lifestyles so we really enjoyed you know the sort of better for you food industry uh but we also noticed more so than that that there is sort of this huge white space for people representing brands and founders right Mm -hmm. like typically um you know if if you're a lawyer or a service provider you wanted to work with you know coke or pepsi or a private equity fund people who had you know were well funded and had a lot of money um and no one really wanted to represent the the little brand and the little founder and we kind of had these, we realized we had this great education doing that. And we had this real aptitude and desire for it. And Quite frankly, we were very comfortable, you know, in the, you know, the role of David, you know, David versus Goliath. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and so we, we kind of went out into the industry and, and we kind of went around with our little business cards, um, you know, like Expo, Expo
0: West, Expo East, <laughs> all the, all the yeah. trade shows and conferences. It, yep
1: exactly and uh, you know we kind of walked around and we we're like we're lawyers and you know we we work with consumer products companies do you need help and what we found was like you know there was this this resounding yes like we'd meet people and they'd be like oh my god thank God I met you you know my company was had six employees and now it has 60 and my my, my lawyers like a, a my cousin's friend who's a trust and <laughs> estates lawyer and he doesn't know what a distributor is and he doesn't know what a billback is and I just need someone who understands this area um, so, so we found you know that there was this sort of big opportunity and uh, we took on some more clients and uh, I'd say in 2011 uh, Nick I and, and our, our now partner Anthony Ulino we we all left the firm we were at with like maybe 30 clients. And we moved down to like a third of a, a an office in the meatpacking district that we <laughs> kind of subletted from one of our one of our restaurant clients and we sort of built it out from there and 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 today we've got you know we represent close to like a thousand clients in the in the space of various sizes uh we've got about like twenty five lawyers uh we took the rest of the space in the meat packing And then we took the floor under it that used to belong to one of our clients when they moved. Um, and then we also have an office out in Santa Monica, um, uh, a couple blocks from the beach, which is, which is a really nice, uh, location. Um, so, so, you know, I, and what we really pride ourselves on in terms of today is we're like a real start to finish solution for, mm-hmm. for, consumer goods companies Um, and you've done that with
0: so many incredible brands i mean your your client list on your website is like the who's who of i mean you've got vital proteins you've got larry and lenny and larry's you've got i mean oatly which is blowing up right now so i think what you did really really smartly or wisely was that you found like you said this niche of 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 audience that wasn't being taken care of because everyone wanted to be playing with the big boys. But the truth was, and this is where you saw the white space, was that the smaller CPG brands, if they're treated right and if they have the right representation and team behind them, can grow into these behemoths that then do end up selling to those big brands. So it's really about planting seeds and watching them and supporting them in their growth process. And when they have the right team, it's really hockey stick growth. And I think that's what you've seen with so many of the brands you've worked with.
1: Yeah, totally agree, Laurel. And, and and you know, I mean, for me, for, for like my life's work, right? I think this type of practice where, hey, I'm meeting a brand, you know, at a certain stage in their life cycle, right? It might be halfway through it, it might be at the beginning, it might be for, before they even launch. But sort of developing this really close-knit relationship with them and sort of a you know, a, a A relationship that might last five or ten years or more, um, and helping them sort of grow every step along the Uh, way—that just is—it's a much more satisfying practice, right? Than sort of maybe a traditional M and A practice where um, you get hired by a a company, you know, right as it's about to sell. You don't really have any existing relationship. You sort of help them sell, and then they move on, right? Right. Um, and, and, And by the way, you know that's that's great work, and it's certainly stuff we've done but what's really more satisfying to me is sort of meeting a founder, you know, helping them, you know, from th- from the get go, kind of helping them navigate when they don't have any sort of leverage where they got to sort of finesse their way to yes, where they got to establish themselves and sort of helping them co- you know move along all those steps and and finally being in the spot where they are the sort of, you know, the bigger presence in the room, right? And helping them sort of navigate that where Hey, listen, now you're in the spot where you can ask for everything you want, right? You don't have to finesse your ways, you know, to yes as much because you're coming with, you know, a, a, a big package of business for whoever you're, you're dealing, you know, you're dealing with. And, and finally, sort of helping these founders and these companies and these groups are really kind of like, you know, hardworking and inspiring entrepreneurs and, 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 their, and their sort of team you know, take it to the finish line, exit, and, and really, ch- hopefully change all of their lives in, in a very, very positive way through that experience. Uh, it's it just, it's it just much more internally satisfying and, and, and much more somewhat tactile than sort of a regular practice. So I, I feel really lucky to have sort of found like a, a, you know, a niche that is under was underserved and a niche that is sort of, you know, really, also really positive and collaborative. And, you know, I mean, generally putting good things out into the world.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, unlike a lot of attorneys, you know, you you found something that you were personally passionate about. It was aligned with your core values and how you consume as a consumer. And then to be able to just service those types of companies was, like you said, very much just value aligned across the board. So I can see how that would be much more gratifying way to uh, to be an attorney. Maybe if I had gone down that path, I'd still be in the market. Who knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. as an attorney. Um, but, uh, why do you think that so many brands were not being serviced at that time? Cause now I feel like CPG brands are sexy and popular and everybody wants to build a brand and everybody wants to service these small companies because they see the growth potential with, with the, was the rise of e-commerce. Do you think that now is why those brands be- have become so sexy and targeted? I think there
1: were a couple different trends, right? I, I think one. Was just sort of the rise of like the internet and the fragmentation of how we get info. Mm. You know, I mean, Laurel, like when, when we were growing up, right? How would you learn about a new product? You learn about it from a television commercial, right. you know, on like, and <laughs> like on Sunday mornings, and it would be sort of a, a cereal made by Kellogg, you know, right. that they would sort of put out the out. Only big brands.
0: Right. Only
1: big brands, right? And then there became different ways for brands to sort of reach audiences easier and cheaper ways, you know, mostly via the internet and and people started to realize there were different choices out there and what i think sort of happened in the early 2000s is a lot of those big conglomerates that had enjoyed for years and years and years just sort of a a codified place in sort of americans you know kitchens and pantries you know started to realize that they were really bad at putting out new products you know mm. the 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 consumer didn't want a product that came from a big behemoth. They wanted something more local. They wanted something more artisanal. They wanted something that, you know, they wanted new products. They wanted something that was connecting with them a little deeper or more efficacious. And and these big sort of companies weren't able to keep up with the with the pace of change and innovation.
0: Right. And so their they RD takes forever. Exactly.
1: And their yeah. risk mitigation takes forever. And they're Absolutely. just too big and bureaucratic to 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 move and be nimble and and sort of compete. So, so what they started to do is they started to, you know, they started to look at these entrepreneurs and they started to say, you know, instead of doing our internal R&D, we'll do R&D through acquisition. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we'll wait for a trend to develop, then we'll purchase it, um, you know, at a multiple of net sales, and we'll, you know, be, because of our breadth and our size, we'll efficient size it and we'll reduce cogs and we'll make a lot of money out of it after the, you know, once the consumer acceptance has been proved. So so sort of that M&A and, and sort of VC type, you know, um, environment, mm-hmm. right?
0: So it was really the combination, it sounded like, of the uh, the internet and then also the change in consumer taste and profile, like the combination yeah. of those two. Interesting. I think so. We have to take a really quick break and we want to when we come back i want to talk about some of the best and worst things you've seen out there um and really how startup brands in the cpg space should start thinking about their partnerships with their council so stay tuned hi guys thanks for sticking with us and if you are just tuning in i am chatting with my friend ryan lewenden who is a partner at the gianuzzi group we were just talking about like the evolution of Big brands and how consumer tastes, along with the internet, really what are what is what propelled uh, these more boutique, more bespoke, more efficacious, as you said, brands to uh, to come onto the scene. Now I want to shift focus a little bit and talk about, because we see it all the time, where brands just don't have their shit together. Um, And I can curse because it's on my podcast. And so can you, by the way, Ryan, (laughs) if you so choose. Um, But why is it that brands are so scared to engage with with a firm? I don't, it doesn't, I mean, obviously I'm an attorney, so it doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm sure you see this all the time because you pitch hundreds of brands, if not thousands of brands every year. What is it that stops them?
1: Yeah. I, I think there's a couple different factors that stops them. I, I mean, and first, let's just get to the base of it. You know, attorneys in a lot of ways are risk mitigators, right. Mm-hmm. And attorneys in a lot of ways, you know, like to, like from an advice perspective, they often tell times tell you, Hey, look, the safest route is this, or, you know, to, to be totally covered, you need to do that. And for these entrepreneurs who, you know, are you know the base of their company or the this like the magic of their company is taking on risk and doing something different and pushing the boundaries and being innovative and 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 creating something out there in space which hasn't existed before there is a general disalignment right with with mm. those viewpoints and, and then i think most you know most attorneys um you know operate in, in more of an old school way right like in, in a slower more methodical way, and and these sort of entrepreneurs are moving at the speed of light, right? The speed of commerce. You know, they need to make decisions quickly. And you know, if the advice is is going to come slowly, or the advice is you know always going to be you know don't do that, you can't do that. You know, without really much more into it, or without much more creative, you know, uh, or critical problem solving, uh, they oftentimes just sort of become a little noseblind to it. And entrepreneurs say, look, I'm going to go to an attorney. They're going to tell me not to do this you know, after going to do it anyway, think of it. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to charge me a lot for that. Right.
0: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: you know, I know entrepreneurs have a lot of them have taken uh, a viewpoint where like attorneys just aren't valuable. Attorneys are, you know, impediments to deals and, and so on and so forth. What, what I think is really great about our advice and our perspective is that I, I do, I do try to right size it for the type of company. Right. And, and when I'm working with, you know, a smaller company, look, I tell them, you know, you're a smaller company. Uh, I want to treat you like a hot stove, right? Like I want to work with you and I want to speak to you just when you really need it. And quite frankly, I understand the place where you're at and I can sort of give you options on how to move forward, or I can give you some advice on how to sort of go forward. And I can certainly tell you what your risks are, but I can give you some options on, you know, if if that's not an option, just not to do it, some of the best ways to maybe move forward and and reduce your risk if you're not eliminating it. Right,
0: right. Which um, is a totally different perspective of what typical council back in the day used to be like. Well, first of all, it was like all really like old conservative dudes. So obviously the fact that your whole team is pretty young and engaging and interesting is, is a differentiator. And then to your point, you're not just trying to drive up billables, which a lot of firms still to this day do. You're really treating the client as a partner and you're looking at them at, from a long-term perspective. I love the hot stove um, metaphor. I've never heard that before uh, because you, you know the truth is is you could build them crazy numbers, but you know that that's not what they need at that moment. And if you respect them and they see that, then they are more likely to build a long-term relationship with you.
1: Right, I mean, I mean, all my clients, I, and I tell them people this like pretty openly. Like, I'm not looking in terms of a finance stuff on a on a case by case or a project to project basis. I'm looking at it sort of all as a long term relationship over a number mm-hmm. of years. And so, you know, from that perspective, I, I'm I am trying to be efficient with respect to you know each and dish each initial engagement because over lawyering something at an early stage, um, you know, that might or might not be important later on down the road is generally not what these folks need. You know, when earlier on you need, Hey, these are the big issues you need to circle and this is what you need to tackle. And this is what you can let go by the wayside. And and part of the reason I can help do that is because, you know, I've been doing this a long time, but I've been part of enough successes from start to finish that I know that, Hey, when an acquirer wants to come by you, these are the things that they're going to find really important. And some of these other things, you know, would might be nice to have, but they're not absolute must-haves. And and when you're an entrepreneur without a lot of leverage, um, trying to get started, knowing the difference between those two can be really, really imperative and critical to your success later on. 100%
0: hundred percent I mean we have these conversations all the time because brand you know we build a lot of brands obviously you know we do marketing and uh, I always ask them you know have you checked with your attorney to make sure we can own this trademark or is it filed or like what is the status on on a lot of these pieces from a marketing perspective because and I'm sure that you've seen this it's really disheartening um, and can be heartbreaking when a brand is building and building and building and putting so much time, effort, money and blood, sweat and tears into a brand. And then all of a sudden they can't own that brand. I'm sure you've seen that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it done a couple of different ways, whether it's from a trademark perspective or, you know, uh, partnering up with a co-packer um, that, you know, you think they're making a product for you and it turns out they thought they were you know, it's their product and they're licensing it to you <laughs> for a finite nice. period of time. Um, and, and what's really tough, what's really, really tough is when you find someone who's who's putting, like this is their hopes and dreams and they're putting sort nice. of their savings into it. And, and just they come, you know, a, a terrible mistake happens like that, that really sets them back pretty far. And, and that's one of the things, and I know you try to help do this as well from your end. It's one of the things I, I really, like is really important to me in helping these early stage entrepreneurs is like, Hey, let's keep from making the critical mistakes and let's clean the rest of this stuff up later. Um, because you know, you need to live to fight another day. And there's only so much things, so many things you can fight over when you, when your options are a little limited because you're trying to sort of get, get your legs under you and get up and running. Totally. Obviously that, obviously that changes later on down the line
0: when totally. you start to become more <laughs>
1: established and, and, yeah. and those, and that's when you sort of clean it up from there.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And and that's the other reason why it's so important to have a partner like you early on so that you can block and tackle the really challenging issues, lay out, uh, you know, what's in front of them and make sure that they make really smart financial decisions as well. I mean, a lot of this is how do we make the, you know, employees work the best way possible? What has to happen as the company grows from 10 to 50 to 500 people You know, these are things that entrepreneurs generally don't focus their efforts on because they're so excited and as well, they should be about growing the brand. So I think it's, you know, it's so like overused, but Pennywise and Pound Foolish, like just talk to someone. I always tell this to our our, uh, clients, just go talk to someone, even if you spend a few hundred dollars and most of the time, and I know you do this, Ryan, you'll take a call for free and you'll just have a 30 minute chat with someone just to see if there's a there there. It just boggles my mind how few people take me up on this offer to like talk to some of the brightest minds like you in this field so that down the road, they're not shooting themselves in the foot, you know?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I absolutely agree. And, and, and like I said, yeah, I have initial calls with people all the time and, and, and go over this stuff and in part just to see if there's a good fit for sort of a, you know, a broader relationship as well. Um, but, but it is important to do, you know, you find in, in this environment. If you're starting a business, and even if it's not your first business, if it's your second, there's, there's such a disparity in terms of experience, right? So if you're, if you're raising money for your business, maybe you, maybe you had a prior business, maybe you didn't, but like this might be one or two times you had any experience raising money. If you're raising money from a, like a, a, a professional investor or a strategic investor or a VC fund, they've invested in hundreds of companies, right? So the experience levels are totally askew. And then mm-hmm. even in the industry, if you're bringing on a distributor, right? Okay, well, maybe you've done a couple of distributor agreements in the past, but that distrib- distributor's done hundreds, right? And and there's just sort of a, a, an experience and a knowledge gap, right? And, yeah, cracking and the duck
0: like, in your favor.
1: Yeah, and, and people like myself, but not only myself, like advisors in the industry who have experience doing this stuff over and over again, it's so important for an entrepreneur to put those people around them. To narrow those gaps in experience, so you can sort of say with some confidence, you know, I'm not making a big misstep here, right? I'm not making oh. a big misstep because I just don't know any better. It, especially when, you know, it, especially in this healthy food and beverage business, like I find it's very collaborative and very positive, and you know, it, it's it's very open, right? And and even if it's not me as an attorney, if it's you know someone who's who's been around the experience uh, industry a while and has some experience putting those people around as advisors and, and putting them on your team and getting a great team together just can just can make such the difference between you know success and failure.
0: 100%. We're going to take another quick break. And then when we come back, I want to shift focus and talk about some more positive things like how you built the firm, your entrepreneurship background, and some best practices for um, what you see as so critical for CPG brands that are up and evolving in the future. So stay tuned. All right, guys. Chatting with my friend Ryan Lunden, we're talking about uh, kind of we're talking about the worst things that could happen <laughs> with entrepreneurs who are building in the CPG space, and and why we think that so few of them really understand the value of what it is that you do. Now, I want to fo- shift focus and be a, a bit more positive and talk about some of the best stories, like some of the really exciting things that you've seen out there. Um, starting with the question of, do you consider yourself to be an entrepreneur, Ryan?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely, right? Like, um, you know, starting a law firm, you know, in in the sort of early 2000s, while we were coming out of a sort of a a financial (laughs) meltdown, Um, I mean, it was really harrowing, right? Uh, Nick, Anthony, and I started it. We brought some clients. We didn't know whether we'd be able to get more or or, or whether, you know, we would keep growing. Uh, There was so much uncertainty. And I will say that first year of sort of starting the business and you know, in addition to working as a, like a lawyer, but like, you know, figuring out how the office would be set up and figuring out what the logos would look like and putting up the website copy. I mean, all of us wore all those different hats, right? Which mm-hmm. is which is what an entrepreneur is and does, right? Like you have the, the work that you make money from, and then you have all the other work, which oftentimes is equal or greater <laughs> than the work you make money from. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we started the business. We bootstrapped it. You know, the three of us kind of worked, um, you know, as much as we could until we looked around and we were working till like eleven or midnight every night. And then we said, okay, we need to hire a person.
0: Um, <laughs> you know,
1: and and as a small firm without a big name, you know, it was you know our first couple of hires, right? Who would who kind of came into an office and there were three people and and a and an admin and and looking around and thinking like well will this firm be here you know forever will it you know will it always be around it's risky convincing those first couple of hires was was you know was the hardest sales right and right. then eventually once we got some really and and we were really good with our hires but as we built a stronger and a bigger and a better team obviously you know those things become a little easier cuz you establish more of a name for yourself and you get a little bit more you know, a, a clout behind you, but, um, absolutely consider myself an entrepreneur. And, and, and that is one of the things, and my partner, Nick's an entrepreneur, and my partner, Anthony's an entrepreneur. And, and one of the great things why I think we've been really good at this is because we come from that mindset, right? We understand mm-hmm. that. And so when we're working with entrepreneurs and giving advice, you know, we're operating on the same level, right? We right. take, you're that basically grip. an owner operator. Yeah, absolutely. We are. We're owner operators and we've taken that risk that all those entrepreneurs are taking. And, you know, that's always fueling that analysis behind every decision they're making. And we understand that. And and so we can connect on that sort of level and, and we work at that same pace they work at. And we, you know, we, you know, we work late, we work the weekends, we get things done when they need to get done. It's it, we have that same mindset and, and that's what I think has helped us sort of vibe with so many of these people
0: in this industry. Yeah. You've got that hustle, Hustle mindset. And uh, I'm sure your clients, I mean, obviously you guys have been doing it long enough now. You've been very successful at it and that's why they appreciate it. I found the same thing because I was on the own operator side um, with my family business and then starting my agency. And I totally agree with you. It's it's about having an entrepreneurial mindset where you can really put yourself in the shoes of your client and say, if I were in their position, would I do this? Or how would I approach this problem, uh, you know, to solve it? And ultimately, that's what attorneys do. You're problem solvers all day long. So what are some of the best practices? Um, you know, if someone came to you today and they were like, I've got this great idea or I've got this first proof of concept, you know, what does that kind of um, cycle relationship look like? What do they need to have in place to be successful and make sure that they're not, um, you know, again, shooting themselves in the foot? Sure, sure, sure. Well, I know that's I, a hugely can... broad question also. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm happy to take a
1: stab at it because uh, honestly, I have these conversations with people on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so a couple things. First, you, you need to form your company, right? And you need to put whatever that asset or that IP is in the company. Um, you You need to make sure that the company sort of owns whatever it's going to want to make or do. And that's, you know, from a trademark perspective and from a from a formula and a recipe perspective, you want to make sure the company can sort of own those. And And in, in that, I think working with a trademark lawyer pretty early on to make sure that do some searches and make sure the name you want to go out with, you can get a registration for and you'll be able to continue to use is super important so that you don't have to like go out with one name and then then switch later on down the line because you found out that there was a conflict that,
0: Ugh, Could have so been discovered
1: painful. pretty easily. You
0: put all this time, energy, and money into building a brand. And then you're like, just kidding. You got to start Ugh, from scratch. We so hear it all tough. the time.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, obviously with whoever's making or helping make, you know, the, the IP, whether it's the recipe, the branding, the designing, just having agreements with them that like, they there's an understanding that the company's going to own it and not anyone else. Right. And that, that wholly will be put into that company's pot. Um, and, and then from there... You know, uh, if, you're, if you have a product going out, you're going to want to have someone, both from a marketing and a website and a label uh, perspective, look at those for sort of claims from an FDA and an FTC standpoint. It's like kind of not really an exorbitant cost, but it does save a lot of issues later on down the line with respect to partnerships with retailers, because someone might point out that something on your label is, isn't set up the right way and they might it might hurt your relationship with them or just from like the litigious nature of the US mm-hmm. uh, economy where if you're making a claim that you're not allowed to make, you might get a letter from like a class action lawyer and it might end up being a really big cost. I mean, it might be yeah. at any stage in like your growth, right? But like, especially early on, if you get hit with something like that, it can really be a cost that might really set you back.
0: And, and then, or take down after, your company. I mean, worst case scenario, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, depending on, on, on what the size is, it, it could totally put you out of business. And, and, and then after you do that, you really want to start putting around like a good team around yourself, right? People that know the things that you don't know and people that have experience doing the things you don't have, right? And whether that's building a board of advisors or whether that's sort of finding good partners who might help you outsource your marketing, like, like yourself, right. Or I uh, might help you um, with like, like opening up new accounts as a broker or distributor, putting people around you that like do things, do the things that you don't know about is like very well and have good experience in the industry and have some line of sight and insight into what, what issues there might be down the line can be really make a big difference between sort of some quick success or, or, or slower success if you have to stumble a bunch of times along the way and, and fix a lot of things later on.
0: Or epic failure. You're being kind. I'll just say it straight <laughs> up. <laughs> I thought this was, this was the positive part of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely. totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, and oh my gosh, we're almost out of time. Um, I always like to ask some weird and wacky questions. So we'll just do this quick fire. Uh, sure. What is your favorite go-to cocktail?
1: Oh, my favorite go-to cocktail... Uh, right now is just a Claude Azul Reposado on the rocks, <laughs> straight
0: up. I'm a Plata girl, but I feel you on that one. I love it. Uh, what is the one thing you couldn't live without during COVID?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, the one thing I couldn't live without during COVID is probably um, my workouts. <laughs>
0: mm, <laughs> and, uh, totally. you
1: know, and, and my and my trainer, Martin uh, Kelly, who's who kept me sane and did a lot of Zoom workouts in my living room with me.
0: Nice. And lastly, your favorite word and
1: why? Oh, my gosh. My favorite word and why. Oh, man. Uh, my favorite word and why is collaboration. And my favorite word is collaboration because I think, quite frankly, that permeates like so much of what I do, whether it's, you know, working with my sort of uh, co-workers um, at my law firm. Um, everything we do is collaborative everything we get done is, is as a team. Um, I think, you know, at least in terms of where I work, uh, you know, i work very hard at it, but I think our success is really due to having a really, really strong team. Um, and just, as I said before, for the, for the people I work with and the companies I'm involved with, you know, collaboration is sort of the most important thing you can do for success. No, nobody gets it done all on their own and totally. trying to do it all on your own and not asking for help is one of the easiest ways to fail.
0: I always say no man or woman is is his or her own mountain. Uh, Lone Wolf Syndrome is super lonely and there's no need for it because there's people like you out there, Ryan, who are really built to support these amazing brands that we're seeing emerging in the market. So thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it.
0: I mean, 30 minutes just goes too fast. I feel like we have so much more that we didn't cover. But um, if you guys need any help in this area, Ryan is the best in the business. Check him out. Uh, I believe it's the Group.com. No, sorry. It's gglaw.us. So check them out. Their clients really do speak for themselves. And Ryan, I can't thank you enough for being on the show and sharing with us a little bit of your wisdom. Um, So thanks for that. And guys, thanks for tuning in. And stay tuned for more Elevate Your Brand coming up next.